This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. When we were going into production for season three of Creative Conversation, I did a call out for some of the most challenging creative problems you all are facing in your jobs. And this one really stood out to me. It's from Christina, AKA Divine Techie Girl on Twitter, which is a great name, by the way. Christina said, what is interesting to me is how the term innovation is used religiously while still wanting to keep things the same. And she went on to say that the old guards need to trust the new generation with new ideas. To me, that issue comes down to creative uncertainty. That do I or don't I feeling when you attempt to step outside your comfort zone in search of truly creative solutions. One of the hesitations may come from really not being clear what we mean by creativity. To get at the root of the problem, I spoke with Dr. Ron Baghetto, a renowned expert on creativity and the author of Beautiful Risks. So I think once people realize that when we're talking about creativity, it's not, we're not talking about unconstrained originality. We're actually talking about constrained originality, and it's constrained by the particular situation, the particular problem, the particular context in which we find ourselves. And I think that can provide some reassurance of, okay, we're not just throwing everything out the window and just blindly trying new things um, because there can be kind of unintended and sometimes even dangerous consequences of doing so. But rather, we're trying to do things in a new way, but that's also meaningful. I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, Could you dig a bit deeper into the misconceptions around creativity? That's a very important question. I mean, the thing about creativity, it's, it's a concept that everyone already has a pretty well-formed opinion about, I would say, and maybe thinks about in relation to their own lives. And so I think we oftentimes, and I think this includes creativity researchers too, we sometimes have a more narrow conception of creativity than um, it may actually be the case. And so we oftentimes will think about, you know, well, creativity is only um, in one domain, the arts, or some people are creative and other people are not. So these kind of more fixed views or limited views. I think what could be really helpful is recognizing that creativity really is a distinction or judgment we make usually after the fact. So we use the criteria of is this original and is it meaningful to make judgments about ideas, behaviors, products, and again, after the fact, because we can't know that in advance. So if we recognize that creativity really is a judgment or or decision or determination, that can then help us break free from the idea that, well, some people possess creativity and some don't, or creativity can only occur in some domains or activities and not others. You know, creativity research would say, you know, it's also kind of conditioned by or contextualized by the particular social, cultural, historical context. So what could be determined as creative in a fourth grade classroom may not be in, you know, in a business or in the boardroom, but it still could be considered creative in that particular context. So thinking about creativity um, as being situational and contextual can be helpful. And again, that is a judgment. So how does that idea of expanding the definition of creativity and putting it into the right context play into creative uncertainty? With uncertainty, I think we have this relationship where if we feel uncertainty, we might fear that other people might see us as incompetent. So if you're a leader or an educator or a parent and you don't know what to do next in this situation and somebody's turning towards you and wondering where you know this meeting's headed or where this 
lessons headed or, or where the next step is going to be and we don't know, that we fear that incompetence. So I think that negative association that we sometimes have with uncertainty can impede us from seeing the creative opportunities that uncertainty presents. And so I think that's kind of a way that we narrowly think about uncertainty and we therefore lose opportunities to actually do things in new and sometimes better ways. Um, so I think those coupled together, kind of a narrow conception of creativity, recognizing that really is just a judgment that we make based on the criteria of the definition, and that uncertainty can actually be really generative and actually a sign of competence by recognizing that, hey, this is different. This isn't working the way I anticipated it to. Let's stop the meeting for a moment instead of going to the next agenda item and explore this, or let me put down the lesson plan and let's explore this, where this is headed in a different direction. So what are some ways people can engage with uncertainty in more productive ways? Because I feel like we're often told to do the thing that scares us the most and to step outside of the box, but how can we effectively navigate the uncertainty that comes with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I firmly believe that uncertainty really is the kind of key lever uh, of creativity. In fact, I would say it's like, the condition and catalyst for creativity. And so I think what this requires is rethinking our kind of relationship with uncertainty. And now that we kind of have an understanding of what creativity is, it's not just unconstrained originality, but it's, it's doing something new or thinking in new ways that kind of meaningfully resolve uncertainty. That's one way to kind of define creativity. And so if we think about uncertainty, uncertainty presents us with these opportunities to think and act in new ways. Um, and it's really the sign of when we should think creatively. We don't always have to be creative. Oftentimes we can follow well-established routines and procedures, and that's the most efficient, effective, and sensible thing to do. It's when we run into an impasse um, and we don't know what to do, or things that have worked in the past are no longer working, or we wanna kind of improve you know, whatever we're doing, then we're kind of experiencing or introducing uncertainty into that space. And that's when it's time actually to think and act in new ways. So that's where it's kind of a condition for creativity. And I think the other thing that could be reassuring is to recognize that as humans, we all have creative potential. We all have the ability to think and act in new ways. It's kind of a survival imperative, if you will. And so the fact that we make it through each day likely means that we've experienced some uncertainties and we're able to resolve them. I think it's when we experience what the great American pragmatist Charles Sanders Peirce described as a state of genuine doubt, where you're really stopped in your tracks, that it can be kind of terrifying, where you really don't know what to do. And that is, I think, when we most need to be creative. So I think part of what it is, is, is being more aware of when we are encountering uncertainty. I often think it's also helpful to distinguish between good and bad uncertainty. So to you, what's the difference between good uncertainty and bad uncertainty? It might be easier to understand this if we think about if we're inviting people into uncertainty. You know, we can encounter uncertainty, we just we experience it, or we can kind of induce it. And sometimes when we're designing experiences where we're actually asking people to come up with new ways of thinking or acting or develop a new product or whatever the case may be, we're actually inviting uncertainty in. And so in those cases, what we want to make sure of is that people know how they can get assistance um, when they need it and be encouraged to do so. 
they can also know what some of the general criteria are. Like we only have five weeks to do this. This is our budget. We can't go over this budget. So specifying some of the structure around that, the constraints. And so we're kind of structuring the uncertainty a bit. And so if we're able to, you know, if we're kind of creating that situation, then we can structure the uncertainty for others. If we find ourselves encountering uncertainty, then we have to kind of structure it ourselves, you know, be willing to ask for help when we need it. So again, there's fear in doing that because some people, and sometimes we all fear, like if we ask for help, then people will think we're incompetent. When again, that's actually a sign of competence, of recognizing your limitations. So I think being willing to ask for help, being willing to clarify, okay, do we have any criteria? What, what are the constraints that we're operating in? And I think by doing that, you can clear away the bad uncertainty. Because if you don't know those things, then it's just chaotic. You, you really are kind of immobilized. If you, you know, it feels like the criteria keep changing. You can't ask for assistance and you're just stuck. So then once you clear that up, when you kind of structure the uncertainty a bit, then the good uncertainty is simply being okay with the fact that you don't know how this is going to turn out or what it's going to look like, or even if it'll work, but being willing to take the risk to try new things, to test them out, to pivot, do whatever you need to do, and then ultimately evaluate um, whatever you produce at the end and determine whether you know, it meaningfully solves the problem or not or you know, resolves the uncertainty. So we've learned that creative uncertainty can come from a narrow idea of creativity itself. As Ron said, creativity is a judgment made after the fact. Knowing that can help us break free from the idea that some people possess creativity and some don't. Overcoming creative uncertainty is also about figuring out good uncertainty from bad uncertainty. But there's still a large component of uncertainty that needs to be addressed, the fear of failure. More on that after the break. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So we've been talking about creative uncertainty, and I feel like when it comes to exploring uncharted ideas, it's so easy to throw around catchy words or phrases it's easy to assume that the best way to get over creative hesitation is to fail fast. Just make those mistakes early on to get to the right solution quicker. But is there a better way to think about failure? Here's Dr. Pagetto. There is some benefit in those kinds of slogans like fail fast, fail forward, learn from your mistakes, in that it, it can kind of provide a nudge for us to maybe take risks that we otherwise might not take. I think the danger, um, that comes with those slogans is they're, they end up being pretty hollow or empty when you actually experience failure. Uh, because what they fail to describe is the pain or the emotion or the frustration that comes with failure and making mistakes. And I think this is particularly important when we're talking about people that are earlier in their careers or young people that are trying to take kind of meaningful risks and try to do things new. Um, and then they hit a setback, and it could be, you know, a pretty devastating experience. So, what I would argue, and what I've tried to work on, is trying to help people kind of tell their stories of failure. So, I've developed this very simple activity that I call my favorite failure, um, and it's just a series of a couple questions that 
invites people to share examples of when they tried to do something um, new and they failed to describe what happened and importantly, what they felt during that um, experience. And then what they learned about the situation, what they learned about themselves and why it's their favorite. And so I think by kind of, you know, paradoxically combining favorite with failure, but importantly, adding that kind of emotional component to it, it can really help people understand that failure does sometimes lead to success. And, you know, we need to be willing to step forward and make mistakes and fail and kind of move forward from those, but also be realistic about how painful um, that can be and why oftentimes it, it results in us being somewhat hesitant um, in being willing to do so. So I would add the caveat of, yes, fail forward, but let's be realistic about how difficult and unpleasant failure can often be if we're really trying to use those slogans to motivate people. So if somebody is suffering from creative mortification, how would you suggest they process that? How do you get to the point of accepting your failure in order to make it your favorite failure? When we're talking about creative mortification, oftentimes it seems that that comes from a combination of really experiencing some deep shame around what happened, and also the belief that you can't improve. And so that's a pretty, that's a double whammy, and it's, it's pretty difficult to kind of bounce back from that. But it seems that people that can move forward from even painful and embarrassing um, setbacks recognize at some fundamental level that they can improve. That's a really important thing to recognize. And, and for people that are trying to support others, so if you're in a leadership position, or if you're an educator or a parent, um, and you're trying to help people kind of move beyond that setback, I think it's critically important to be honest about where their limitations are and at the same time, show them how they can start making steps towards improvement. And so that really can send the message of, look, you know, you're not there yet um, and it didn't work out this time, but here's how you might move in that direction. And then for those of us that have kind of experienced those kinds of things. I think being honest about our goals and maybe recalibrating our goals. So maybe I'm not going to be the next John Keats as a poet. And so why don't I scale that back a little bit and just see if I can maybe present my poems in some sort of other venue or get them published in a magazine, maybe seek out the assistance that I actually need um, to take that next step. So I think the key there is, again, recognizing there's an emotional component to it but also thinking about, okay, how can we improve? And sometimes that improvement requires a recalibration of what our aspirations are without letting them go completely. Because I think that's the danger of creative mortification is your creative aspiration is suspended kind of indefinitely. And so you lose out on the kind of joy and experience of producing creative work. And you also kind of give up the responsibility that you have to share that with others, you know, the potential contribution you can make. Those would be a couple ideas there, is helping people start identifying very concrete ways how they can make improvement, and then also maybe think about recalibrating one's aspirations to kind of meet where you actually are. I want to go back to the Twitter question we got from Christina that kicked off this whole conversation around creative uncertainty. It sounded like she was in the position of trying to convince a colleague or a boss to mean what they say when they talk about innovation or disruption and to trust a new generation with new ideas. When you're in a position where you're ready to take those creative risks, but the people around you aren't, how do you convince them to do so? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think it's, 
it's not just the old guard. I think it's most of us actually don't like uncertainty and risk. I mean, I think we tend to be risk adverse. So I think what can be helpful in helping other people understand the creative work that you're doing or the new ways you're thinking about something or, or the new ways you're kind of produce, pr- providing a, a procedure or something to solve problems in a different way is to probably lead with the second part of the definition of creativity, which is I'm going to show you how I can still meet these criteria, still meet our goals, still meet our objectives, still work within the constraints that we're facing, but in a new and different way. And in fact, in doing this, it might actually be a better way of doing this. I'll give you one quick example that I often use. It's based on you know footage from like this second grade classroom where this problem was 26 minus 17. So the answer is nine. And the teacher just asked the kids to kind of share their own way of how they came up with the answer of nine. And one kid basically said something along the lines of, okay, I have 26 minus 17. I just take the six and seven and set them aside for a second. And then I subtract the 10 from the 20. And that gives me 10. And then I subtract the seven from that 10. That gives me three. I add it back to six and that's nine. Now, that is certainly... (laughs) different way of understanding that problem, but it's mathematically accurate, right? It's new and meaningful. And the most beautiful thing about that is when that kid's explaining it, there's another little voice in the back of the classroom that says, I disagree with myself now. That was a beautiful thing. Imagine that, saying that both publicly, but also showing that this kid's explanation actually helped another kid who thought the answer was 11, who had the incorrect answer, now understand mathematically how it was nine. Um, so I think that little second grade example is very illustrative to how we as adults, if we allow these little openings, rather than just kind of dismiss a kid's idea where a kid might say, add three back to six and get nine, we might be like, no, you need to think about that some more, where actually this kid did think about it and had a very unusual but mathematically accurate way of solving it that actually contributed to the learning of another kid. So those kinds of little examples, I think we can all learn from, and I think we can start seeing them in our own lives, in our own interactions on a daily basis. And so providing space to at least hear these different perspectives, while still, again, making sure that they are meaningfully, you know, solving the problems we want to solve, attain the goals we want to attain, and so on. So let's review. If you're feeling that creative uncertainty creeping in, it could be based on how you're looking at the concept of creativity in the first place. I mean, who wouldn't feel intimidated thinking that your ideas can go anywhere and everywhere? But that's just the thing. Creativity isn't unconstrained originality. Creativity should be in the context of what you're working on. But to that end, have you been given the proper parameters to succeed? Unpacking creative uncertainty is also about figuring out good uncertainty versus bad uncertainty. Good meaning you're operating within clear goals and bad meaning that hesitation you feel stems from the fact that you're working with a moving target. And after all that hemming and hawing, your idea still fails. Yeah, it's a crappy feeling. It's a really, really crappy feeling. But you can strip away that negativity around failure and put it in the context of your favorite failure by writing out how you felt in the moment and why your idea didn't go as you planned. We're only human, right? We're wired to be risk averse in so many situations. But when it comes to creativity, there is a rule book that you can apply that can give you that boost of confidence to be your best creative self. 
That's it for this episode of Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. You can follow Fast Company Magazine on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Creative Conversation is produced by Daniel Roth.